0: Welcome to Creative Welly episode 40. My name is DK, the originator and founder of Creative Welly, where we have courageous conversations with bold humans. Big shout out to John Tucker over at Empire Films for the videography to make this video podcast the way it looks. You're listening to the audio version. You can find the video podcast over on creativewelly.com. And also thanks to David over at Flashdog Studios for hosting us as well. In this episode, episode 40, we speak to Dr. Hazel Bradshaw, curious technologist and emerging tech lead for Datacom, a big technology company here in uh, Wellington, New Zealand, and also Derek Sivers, author and many other things, as you will find out. Please enjoy this audio version of the video podcast, and I'll get back to you at the end of it. Enjoy. What do you most value in your friends? It's a beautiful who was it like to go first?
1: Kind of seems obvious. Going out. Well, fun.
0: Ah, mm. You like would hang
1: out with people who aren't fun, because mm. then they're the toxic side of things and right. you don't want to do the toxic. So if you've got some mm. fun, that's a good place to start. Definitely. As a value. Most of my friends are quite fun.
0: Hmm, what
2: did you say? I got a totally different answer. Cool. Um, I've been nomadic. For most of my life uh-huh. so the number one most important thing for me is a willingness to talk on the phone mm. because I've, I've moved countries every two years for most of my life yeah. so I don't hang out in person with mm. my friends as much as I talk with them across the world so like right now my six best friends are like in six different countries mm. and if somebody's not into talking on the phone we're not going to be friends.
0: Fascinating.
2: Okay. But are they fun? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're insightful. We have really good conversations. I think that would be my second. If you wanted me to do, yeah, do, yeah, please do. Uh, would be insightful because mm. that's my favorite thing that I do with friends. Is we have these like deep diving, vulnerable conversations where we ask like, why is it that way? And, you know, why do people do that? And like that's that to me is the difference between an acquaintance and a friend. Is that kind of deeper dive? The depth yeah. of conversation.
1: He yeah. yeah, is a fun man. Hot, so I had a deeper fun.
0: fun. More fun than fun. Yeah, more <laughs> fun than fun.
1: Enjoyment, maybe.
0: Yeah. Mm. So I had another response as well. <clears throat> yes, please. Mine was effort. Ooh. Because a lot of people say when you're passing in the street and you see them for a while, like acquaintances slash friends, mm-hmm. you are like, good to see you, let's hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The number hasn't changed and, no, no am. and right. it, they just never follow up. And, and it's the people who make an effort that really I value that effort, that time, that energy, mm-hmm. and like you, I, I've moved a bit, so mm-hmm. I've got friends all over the place, but some of my friends that I speak to here are, sorry, I speak to some of my friends overseas a lot more than I speak to some of my friends here, because mm-hmm. they make an effort to right. reach out, to keep in touch, to check in. Mm-hmm. So mix that all up, then you've got the perfect friend, maybe. Fun. Effort. Fun. fun talks effort. On the phone. Talks. And deep, insightful stuff.
1: <laughs> I hate talking on the phone. It's the one thing I detest. Oh, okay.
2: I know. Most people do these days. Yeah. I feel like my little clique of people who enjoy talking on the phone <laughs> is getting very tight.
1: It's just weird. I talk on the phone with my mother because she's always talked on the phone. And I try to video call with her and all she does is stare at the little video, freaking out. <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, this is not a good way. She keeps doing this with yeah. her face and her nose and everything. So. So, yeah, I took just to talk to her and that seems to go yeah. over quite
3: well. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, we're all f- not from around here, as they would say. Yeah, we're all mm-hmm. from different places. Uh, I'd love to know how you ended up here in Wellington at the moment in 2023. What's your story about Wellington?
3: Oh,
1: it's a weird story. Um, I was living in Christchurch, having just done my PhD, and... Yeah. I never really got on with Christchurch as a place, and I was there with the earthquakes, so that really didn't wow. help. Okay. Um, and I, I was going to a conference, the first Women Who Get Shit Done conference, which was mm-hmm. awesome, and I was also terrified because I had never done an unconference before. But I was walking to the train station along the waterfront, and I was just like, oh, this is nice. And I looked over in, just towards the rocks, and there was this huge stingray mm-hmm. floating around and just doing its thing, and I was like, oh! I want to live here because there's a big <laughs> fish and those big fish are in the city and I want to be here. And I made my mind up as I was walking towards the train station that I was just going to move here. And I did oh. about three months later. Wow.
0: You did? Wow. that's yeah. nice commitment.
1: Just packed everything up and packed the house up and then said to my partner, like, do you want to come to Wellington? He went, I suppose, but I had really. <laughs> wow. So but that's my Wellington story. But
2: where were you before Christchurch?
1: Before uh, Christchurch, I was in the UK. Is
2: so that where you grew up? Yeah.
3: What part?
1: Um, Northern England, so it doesn't quite come through, but there is a bit of northern. So yeah, I spent time in the Peak District where everyone Mm. goes climbing, rock climbing around Sheffield, where all the steel is and all of that, so grew up there, but had enough and I had enough of the traffic, the weather Mm. and the politics, so I left.
0: Is that really the reason you moved all the way to New Zealand? Yeah. When was that? When did you actually move from Uh, the UK? 2009. Wow. Okay.
3: And you moved to Christchurch?
1: I Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did because I went to do my PhD at um, no. the University of Canterbury at okay. the Hit Lab. So I went there to kind of just study hard. And um, my then partner at the time thought Christchurch was great. And I got there and I was like, I don't like it. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was there six years.
0: Wow. Okay. Did your PhD and then you moved because of a stingray? Yeah. Because of a stingray. <laughs> yes, and I have never
1: looked back. And it's kind of one of the things I love about Wellington—the coastline, yeah. the way that it changes. The south coast is my favourite place in Wellington. Mm. Best kept secret. Don't tell tourists. It's quite it's nice, beautiful right? down there. Yeah. How about yourself?
2: You know, when people come to visit, I pick them up at the airport, and the first place I take them to is the rocks right next to the airport—the mm. yeah. jaggedy rocks there. It's Moa Point and Breaker yeah. Bay. I think is, uh, yeah, that's my secret Wellington spot. And so I take them there first. And best of all is if you go pick up a pizza and then you eat it on the rocks and those jaggedy rocks you can kind of climb to the top and the waves are just crashing all around you and, and it looks like you're gonna get sprayed. But if you look at the dry parts of the rock, you don't get sprayed so you could just sit there and eat. And to me, it's like the best seat in the house. Mm.
1: It is beautiful. I call it texture. The south coast has texture, mm-hmm. visual and oral, and just all these beautiful um, sounds and sights, and, and there's so much wildlife as well, and it's just, yeah. it's a beautiful
0: place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's windy.
1: And it's windy. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's Which windy. I don't mind.
0: People I, struggle with, but how did you come to work? Well, hold on, do you, do you not mind it or do you like the wind now? In some ways I like it because mm-hmm. it's weather, mm-hmm. and weather reminds me of Wales, Wales. Yes. So I don't mind weather. I've never it's never wrong mm. clothes. Sorry, it's never bad weather. It's just wrong clothes. Right. Um, so it's just enjoy it, whatever weather it is. I would hate to live in Northern California when it's just temperate. Yeah. Yeah. Or Singapore,
2: which is right on the equator. Yeah. And it's just although it's just a fascinating thing living in Singapore. The sun always rises at exactly seven and always sets at exactly seven since it's on the equator year round. And so. <clears throat> I lived in Singapore for two and a half years, and when you're there for a while, you can start to tell what time it is just by like a quick glance at the sky because the sun is always in the exact same spot. I just noticed that wow. my <clears throat> intuition for time was getting more accurate as I lived okay. there because it's like, yeah, I think it's 315, yeah, 318, pretty good.
0: Almost like yeah. a maritime kind of Maybe, yeah. skill right there, yeah. knowing where the sun is. But tell could, us about your Wellington, June. Um, hmm. I
2: was living in Singapore and had a baby. Well, okay. I should back up. Like I asked you to back up <laughs> too. Um, born in California. Grew up in California, Chicago, uh, Boston, New York City, uh, Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Um, back to New York. Uh, Abingdon, England outside of Oxford for a year when I was five. Um Which helped, it kind of shaped my identity a bit because, um, I mean, imagine this, I was like a California hippie kid in...
1: In in Oxford.
2: Well, right before that, right? So first as a California hippie kid, we were in this little school where we just played with animals, right? And uh, you just do whatever you wanted. Maybe it was Montessori, I don't know. And then I went to a little uniform-wearing private school in Abingdon, England, and I hated it. Um, I was so rebellious against this new strictness Mm. that i became a little patriot i was just like (laughs) i'm not from here i'm from california and in california we get to play with animals and we do whatever we want and i was so (laughs) like i became like anti-england right i was like i hate it here and my grandmother tells me that when she came to visit us uh one year that i met her at the airport and i took her by the hands and i said grandmother never forget you're from america or something like that i'm a little five-year-old right yeah and um So, I'm giving you all these details because then after a year, we moved to Chicago and I go into the school in Chicago at the age of six and everyone called me the English kid because I had picked up the accent Uh, in a year. I was like, Mommy, I'm not from California. Tell them. I hate hate England. Um, And so this kind of messed with my identity. It's like everywhere I am, I'm not from there. Right, so that's kind of stuck with me ever since. Yeah, which in a way is wonderful because when you're an outsider in a place, as we all are here, there are ways that you can reap the benefits without feeling burdened by the cultural norms.
1: Yeah, I would say, does it does it lift the the sense of responsibility of having to be involved mm. when you go to a place? Because I'm constantly yeah. an outsider. I've accepted it, therefore I don't feel responsible for having to. Engage at the level, cultural level, that is required. Yeah, because that must be quite liberating. Yeah, to not have to do that, you're always like a little bit reserved from it.
2: Right. Like we don't feel it maybe as much cultural disconnect here. But like, imagine if you lived in Japan, for example. Yeah. Where you could like taste the fruits of Japan and and have all the wonderful things about Japan, but not feel bound by like Japanese norms. You mm. know. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, it's quite nice having been over here for such a long time now that I don't feel bound by the English way of doing things. Mm. I'm very much like, ah, how's your government going, Mother? How's, right. how's your things? Oh, and I've sort of, yeah. I have kind of, I've started doing that. Yeah. So I've just started to kind of go, I don't really identify with that anymore.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: Emancipated. <laughs> yeah.
2: Do, you, you, do still, you feel, is it your country or is it?
0: I'll come back to that because right. you still haven't done the Wellington Oh.
2: Bed. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's all. Um, I just figured we've got an hour and a half I'm giving the long version for sure yeah yeah that's all good Um, okay so lived in America my whole life then at the age of 40 I had just sold my company and I was just kind of like free to go wherever Mm -hmm. I had no ties I was single had no job I was just like all right, the whole world is wide open and um, I thought well Singapore would be fun because it's an English speaking country, but in the middle of Asia. Mm. So it seemed to be like a nice gateway entryway to live in Asia, but without too much difficulty. So I did the paperwork and became a legal resident of Singapore. And uh, while I was there, uh, my partner and I had a baby Mm -hmm. and all became legal, permanent residents thinking that we were going to stay there. Um, But after the kid was a few months old, I realized, like, I don't know, Singapore's not a great place for a baby. Like, there's not much nature. I mean, there's a little park between these two highways. But um, I thought, well, ideally, he would grow up in New Zealand. Like, that would be my dream scenario for my okay. kid, is to grow up in New Zealand, you know, feet in the river, hands in the mud, you know, just the full experience. And so I thought, all right, what could it take? I was like, all right, paperwork, <laughs> you know, application, begin. So it was about nine months of paperwork. Yeah. And... Uh, And I got it, and I was a resident. And so that was in 2012, when he was 11 months old. We moved straight to Nelson, um, which, speaking of Christchurch, imagine imagine this. So Nelson in 2012, a lot of people were moving up there from Christchurch. Mm -hmm. And so Mm. Christchurch is a place that I've heard only bad things about, (laughs) because the only people that left were people coming to Nelson, kind of validating their choice, right? Mm. And they're just like, oh, Christchurch. Oh, So glad we got out of there. And it's funny that Christchurch <laughs> became this place that I heard only bad things about. And Fascinating, yeah. I didn't go there until last year, and I kind of liked it. Okay. Yeah. Like Margaret Mahy Playground. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, um, I see everything through my kid's eyes now. Um, <laughs> so then was living in Nelson for two years, but my partner felt that Nelson was too small. She grew up in New York City.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. Sh-
1: she no, Nelson would be yeah. like a pop. I loved mean? it.
2: To me, that it suits me, but it was too small for her, so... Gotcha. So the are. compromise
0: was Wellington somewhere yeah. in between, I suppose.
2: Which I was really... I met you the month I moved here.
0: Because
2: the month I moved here, you were doing TEDx Wellington... 2014? 14. 14 yeah. yeah. It was August 2014 when That's I moved right. up. And I, um, I was bitter
1: about it.
3: I was grumpy. <laughs> okay. I,
2: I moved up here grumpy to leave Nelson. Uh, <laughs>
1: Embracing Wellington for all its wonderful
2: Yes. <laughs> oh, I, was, I was not happy about it. <laughs> and it's taken me a few years to, to like it. Right. So, there's my... Mm. We can get to that later.
0: That's fascinating. Well, we got all then at Christchurch, because I first emigrated to Christchurch All right. in 2011,
2: Ooh. June.
0: So, four months after the big quake. Wow. And very naively moved there thinking, maybe a fascinating place to move to, to Mm. contribute in some way, Mm -hmm. and also to see a city rebirth, rebuild, Mm. re-orient itself. Smart. No, naive. Because in June, it's winter. (laughs) In June, they were still heaping out liquefaction from granny's flat and stuff like that. Mm. Buildings were still, streets were still corded off. Everything was still rubble. Yeah. And um, then we had a huge dump of snow, and I was like stuck in a... Yeah, it yeah, was so that? much fun. Yeah, and I was stuck in a really cold flat. Mm. Going, why did I? And everybody was friendly, but no one was interested in making friends. Yes, because that they were looking is. after their own, which is totally Maslow hierarchy stuff. You get it, like I understand it now. But at the time, I was like, no one's bothering with me. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, oh. So I was a lonely little D K for about. Twelve months, not even twelve months, and I moved to Wellington then. Yeah, because okay. they had an office here, the job I was doing. So it was a an easy lift and move, and I'd been here before, so I knew it was a a vibrant city, yeah. comparative to what I was experiencing in Christchurch. Mm. But like you, I've been back since, and uh, I enjoy it. Still have friends there, but it's not a place I could lay my hat. No. I
1: haven't been back since I left.
0: Wow. In okay. twenty
1: sixteen, um, and. I am going back this next month um, for a, to be on an AI forum panel talk, uh-huh. and it'll be the first time I've been back down. Um, I'm not quite sure how I'll feel, mm. <laughs> because there's probably a bunch of Quake stuff that's still in there, and I'll walk around mm. and I'll either be fine or I'll go and sit and cry in a corner somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's going to be quite an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people down there I still know, and I'm like, oh, I want to catch up with everybody.
3: Yeah. But,
1: it does look yeah. different. Yeah, i just—it's kind of like, "Oh, what's it going to be like?" But I think I'm okay now. I wouldn't have been a couple of years ago mm. wanting to go back.
3: Well, it,
0: it's now. twelve years today, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's well, it every twenty right? Yeah, wow. yeah.
0: It's, Which is weird to think. It's quite. Not that I'm bringing up anything. So no, I not. Mean, I, mean, I, I that kind that, of, like, yeah, then, said, it like is.
1: That. It's quite. It's um, it's that time. Yeah, Cause I was like, oh, it's got to be yeah. that time soon. Wow. To was it February, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, but my mm. house was absolutely munted and I lived with it being propped up with foam and bits of sticks <laughs> for a good right. twelve months.
0: Wow. Um, Actually, was it February twenty? I don't know. No. It was, was. It was s- definitely around time. around this time. Yeah. Um, End of February. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't think you made
2: a bad decision. Okay. I, I've learned this: the difference between a decision and an outcome that a good decision is when you use the best of your abilities and the best of your knowledge Mm -hmm. at that time to make a smart decision that's not just impulsive or emotional or rash or reactionary. Mm -hmm. So that's different from the outcome. The outcome of the decision might not be what you wanted, but if the outcome isn't what you wanted, it doesn't mean it was a bad decision. Those are two separate things. So I still think that your decision to move there four months after the quake was a good decision it was smart, it had good intentions, it mm-hmm. uh, used the best of your knowledge at the time, totally. and it, it was not the outcome you wanted, but I still think it was a good decision.
0: You're probably right. I had a, a, a kind of an experience down there which was quite unique mm. at the time, and then the mm. place, you smile all the way. But, it, you know, it was a quite a unique experience being there during that time. And um, you're right, it got me in, it got me... I like the... The approach to life down there in terms of it's very balanced, like in Wellington, uh, the the work-life scenario is very separate, and I like that Mm. about New Zealand. Auckland's a little bit different, I get a sense Mm -hmm. of, but Wellington, Christchurch, similar in terms of their work ethic. They leave it at the the office, and then Mm. they have a good quality of outside life things. So that's the one good thing about kind of moving there and then moving here, there was a similarity, but very different cities, very different. As yeah, f- and for the nature that you describe, the topography of this place, I uh, struggled a little bit with Christchurch because yeah. it was so flat.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, because um, I grew up in the Peak District, which is yeah, like Linda. a hilly bit of the UK, and obviously, if you grew up in Wales and like hills, I so you're used to seeing a short horizon with hills mm-hmm. everywhere. And I got to Christchurch and went, it's really flat. What yeah. am I going to do? Nothing someone give me a hill.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I could
1: have I could have something to have a horizon on yeah. and then I'd feel calm, but it was just flat I wouldn't feel calm
0: I used to get lost a lot
1: yeah <laughs> I Same. only
0: realized that it was because I had no vis- visual right. reference if yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked up again growing up in Wales you kind of can know the valleys uh, and and the hills right so you kind of go off ahead over there I don't know where I am, but if I head over there I know I'm heading in the right direction
1: yeah and, and then after the earthquake happened, so the the small amount of buildings and places I'd got for navigating were all completely smashed and I was like, I have no right. idea how mm. to navigate this city anymore.
3: Yeah, I just
1: really. don't know. Yeah. And I wasn't the only one I talked to my friends at the time who'd lived there, you know, for a long period of time or all their lives and they went, No, we can't find a way around either. Wow. Because so all the landmarks are gone. All the oh, it's that building there, turn right by that when it's all gone. Oh wow. So they, they, they struggled.
0: Yeah. Wayfinding becomes a different beast. Although you mentioned earlier about the concept of home, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that, you know, you had moved so many times. Uh, was it because of army? Um, your dad was in a service or something, and you had to move that after uh, your mum was... No, he's a
2: particle physicist, and so he was working at a all right. different labs. <laughs> um, but most of it was just driven by me. Like, so there was the moving we did... When be- you were young. Yeah, when I was, like, before age six. Yeah. But then as soon as... By the way, Chicago is very flat, like mm. Christchurch too. And I just got out soon. And so just of my own ambition, I was moving every
0: couple of years to- Right, That was post only, being a kid, right, yeah. I get you now. Okay, cool. Where would you class as home now? Or what is your concept of home?
1: I think you can have several concepts of home. Home yeah. is not an exclusive one single point. Mm. Um, a home is a, a cognitive place in your head that you apply to a space. And then when you're there, you are home okay so um mm. home is is here wellington is very home yeah but when i talk to my mum, I'm, I'm, she's like when are you coming home and oh, i'll be home soon you know come and see you I haven't seen yeah. for four years um that's home and then it just depends on where you where you feel um i always really liked um asia as well traveling through asia and i love going to asia and as soon as i get there i get this lovely feeling um of um. like oh this is really calming and friendly and I feel really at home mm-hmm. moving through um, Southeast Asia, whereas I don't. If I if I go to the U.S., <laughs> I don't feel okay. at home there. Yeah. So yeah, there's different different kind of concepts of home. Totally. But what do you?
2: Think? Do you know how long after you got to Wellington did it feel home, or is it before you got here? Is that why you got here?
1: As soon as I saw the stingray, to right. be perfectly honest. As soon as the eagle ray was there, and there's water and there's sunshine. I know it gets windy, but there's there was life that wasn't just People driven. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really like a non people driven life. Mm. Um, so, okay. oceans and weather and animals because they, they bring you different things. Mm. Whereas mm. all my life in Christchurch is very people driven, and, and as you can say, it takes quite a time to get engaged with people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. there was fish. I like fish, you know. I like
2: that. That's an interesting idea. that's like you saw the stingray. And you just, the city, and you're like, this is home now. It's like you made that decision. It was home as soon as you decided that.
1: Yeah. That's really cool. Which Mm. is an interesting point about making decisions. As soon as you make a decision, the decision allows you to not have to have this um, cognitive dissonance of one thing or another. And the Mm. relief you feel of making a decision is really powerful, and it will drive you to take an action. And like you were saying, the consequence of the outcome of your decision may not be what you wanted, but Mm. the... The ability to make a decision is really powerful. Mm. Um, so, yeah. if you're worrying about making decisions, just make the decision, then you can deal with the consequences afterwards. She's yeah. usually mm-hmm. where out you go for. It's best to work that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like it. And yeah. the concept of home for you? Oh,
2: the, the Latin root of decide means to cut, to cut off. So it's ah. like you cut off the other options. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, sorry. There, there have been some times in my life too that i was in a place and just made that decision like hazel mm. did too like even before living there um like santa monica california was like that yeah, yeah. Uh, just like oh yeah this i'm moving here now it's it's pretty and um weirdly enough i just had that experience uh, a week ago in bangalore india uh i mm-hmm. was there until i just got back two days ago and i went to bangalore uh for other reasons, but getting there, I was really surprised how it's kind of a California culture. Uh, I showed up in a suit thinking like, because last time I'd been to India 12 years ago, I went to Delhi and like everybody was dressed up in suits. And I thought, okay, well, you know, India is very formal. So I went to Bangalore dressed up and everybody that came to meet me was like jeans and t-shirt. and They're like, why are y'all dressed up, dude? I was like, I don't know, I thought I was supposed to. (laughs) And it's a, It's such a, um, yeah, I'll just shorten it to say, for many reasons, I just felt like, damn, this is one of those moments Mm. in my life where I would arrive at a place and say, I'm just going to cancel my return flight and stay here. This is where I want to be now. Wow. But I have an adorable 11-year-old boy here in Wellington that, um, and his mom works for the Ministry of Education and is bound here. Mm -hmm. So I'm here for him, but like kind of part of my soul right now. It's uh, is in Bangalore.
0: Isn't it interesting when you go to places and you feel like you've left a little bit of mm-hmm. yourself behind mm-hmm. or that there's a little bit of your soul kind of residue yeah. existing mm-hmm. because you kind of felt so much there? Maybe that's uh, well an echo. Put. Yeah, I felt the same when I went to Portland, Oregon. First really? love Portland. Did it's you go bad.
2: after coming to Wellington? I've been here before
0: then, yes. Okay, well, because they're yeah. very
2: similar, Wellington. They are. Yeah.
0: Maybe there's a... Yeah, yeah, you're right, but... Uh, and I've been back several times since. i got a good group of friends there, and I stay in the burbs, and I travel in, and yeah. you know, so I, I could find my way around, so it's a really fun little city. But there's a vibe there. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with New Orleans. When I went to mm-hmm. New Orleans, I was like, Oh yes, I could live here, <laughs> And use that voice. In that, oh, did I do a oh, little oh, weird yes, voice? Like yes, yeah, so I could live here. Don't, and don't I know why I went there. like this in New Orleans. <laughs> don't know why I went there, I embodied something then. Uh, But there are a few places on the planet you feel like you've left a little bit of yourself behind when you leave because you liked it so much. It's like, I'll just plant a little bit of me to to grow because when I come back and cultivate it, maybe there's... Mm. I don't know.
1: Until I moved to New Zealand, I had a very different attitude to to travelling. I was very desperate to get out of the UK as a young person. I got my passport as soon as I was legally able to. Um, And I just wanted to go... And see as much as possible so I go to all the places in Europe that I could get to and just and go and I went and lived in America for a short amount of time mm. and I just wanted to go and I was like and I'm never going to move back to anywhere because there's so many places why would you go back And then I came to New Zealand <laughs> um, and I came for a visit and I was like, oh that was good and that was that little piece of my soul kind of mm. got stuck here somehow um, and then it took... I was like, I want to go back. And it took 13 years of time and effort. And then I kind of came back. Wow. So, But the the thread was there and it held for 13 years wow. and all this other things and in and houses. Yeah. And I just went, no, I'm doing it. And I'm like, right, let's just remortgage the house and go. Right, and, that was bold. did. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a habit of just going, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing everything up and going, well, I'll just see what happens. And I can always just deal with the outcomes afterwards once I've made the gotcha. decision yeah, um, and that's got me to a few places, good things and bad things that yeah. have happened, but it certainly makes for an interesting life.
0: Well, I like the description of the thread and I'm wondering, 10 years time, we'll be chatting to you and going, yeah, that thread is still pulling me from to Bangalore mm-hmm. and I kind of, the boy's back, you know, out in uni now, he's mm-hmm. self-sufficient, so. Very likely. You know, I'm actually
2: yeah. a citizen of India through. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah.
0: Kind of, um, we get pulled to these places.
2: Yeah. Wait, Wait I'm just curious, yeah. you said like good and bad, can you give an example of each? Like when it's been a good thing that you've jumped on an impulse and made a big decision and when it was bad?
1: Um, this probably will get, uh, this is more on the personal side of things. Finally. I had a, I was in a, in a relationship with a really lovely, nice person and we were in this lovely house and everything was really nice and lovely Mm -hmm. and I just woke up one day and went I'm not really very happy Mm. so I just went I'm not going to do this anymore and then sort of built a bit of courage and went I don't want to do this anymore boy did that kind of just throw my life into utter chaos and just pain and nowhere to live and all this just this the Mm. stress of it all um but it wasn't the right I wasn't as far as I was concerned, I was uncomfortable and I wasn't in the right, doing the right thing that was right for me. It probably wasn't right for him either. So I just went, you've just got to do something about it. So I was like, fine, I'll just throw it all up in the air and just see where it settles. And anyway, where it ended up settling was, was a better place that probably led me to New Zealand because I... I told him about my dream to go back to New Zealand and he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he basically turned around and went, I'm not gonna do that, I'm never going to do that. And I was like, okay, that's that thread cut. Mm. Let's just, Mm. you know, let's just do something else. And it was a disaster and it took me, absolutely crushed me. It took me about two or three years to pull my life back Mm. together Um, and then did. And then it was in a better place, but it's like, you know, you put your, some decisions put your life through the mincer and you just have to roll with it until coming out the other side and then having faith that you have made the right decision okay. in the long run to okay. make the changes you need. And I wouldn't swap anything for where I am now because mm-hmm. it's like this is, you know, when you feel grounded, and mm-hmm. it's like it's here. Every time I see an <coughs> eagle ray, ray, every time I see a dolphin, every time the wind crashes around and the waves go bursting over the rocks, Every time I go snorkeling or paddle boarding or just sit yes. and have a beer, you know, and watch the sunset. Yeah, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It was worth it. It was a lot of pain, but it was worth it. Yeah. So I suppose yeah. it's like, there's no point in regretting stuff. It's just ah, Powerful. Sharing.
0: Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate that. Thanks. No. What about you then, mm-hmm. in terms of mistakes? Yeah. Hmm, could you? when you look back and go, oh, that was terrible. It was a mistake or, <gasps> or a, a time of you know, real kind of hardship, but actually now I can look back with reverence and uh, not fondness, but certainly, ah, oh, okay. That led to better and bigger things.
2: Um, hmm. I shouldn't have gotten married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fairly obvious. Um, Yeah, that was the, that was the number one biggest, uh, mistake. Um, I was impulsive. I I sold my company and literally the day after I sold my company, I started my next company Mm -hmm. and I got four months into that and said, hold on, I need to make a real change in my life. I don't want to just kind of take one sign off the, the you know, above the door and stick a new sign on and just do the same thing I've been doing for 10 years. Because I was very, like, head down for 10 years in my previous company. Mm -hmm. And I could see that if I didn't make a real change, I was just going to be head down in my next company for 10 years. So I went on a deliberate scramble where I decided to say yes to everything I used to say no to, say no to everything I used to say yes to, and just, like, scramble up my life, To make some crazy decisions to kind of throw it deliberately deliberately off course okay so i was um (laughs) passing through new york city dated somebody i met there um and uh after six months she said that uh that her parents wouldn't let us travel unless we were married uh and i was just like all right fuck it let's get married you know (laughs) scramble right yeah yeah that was the the opposite of what i would ordinarily do so that's what i'm gonna do (laughs) And uh, that turned out to be a big mistake. Uh, right. There's mine. I love the backstory to that, though. Well, it, it does give it's a little... It's just kind of
0: sweet. <laughs> I
2: mean, it gives a little you context because some friends have said, what the fuck were you thinking? Mm-hmm. You didn't even know her. And I was like, well, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking about just scrambling everything in my life. So I did.
0: Are you still scrambling? Mm. Still embracing that chaotic no. mindset? No.
1: Because you have a... Child.
0: Yeah. And that probably helps to ground. They around. probably
1: don't work well in chaos, children.
2: They're oh, chaos, I... but yeah, <laughs> you're right.
1: Yeah. yeah. I know. I think they've
2: got a... Um... Do you have kids?
1: No. Okay. I haven't remember being one and therefore I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: it's kind of a cliche that they say, like, kids need stability. Kids need a stable emotional bond. They right. need to know that they're loved and safe. They don't need to be in the same house with the same peanut butter and the same, you know. Yeah, I
1: agree with, definitely agree with that. um, I think, yeah, a stable point, a thread, a stable thread to go, yeah, I know where I'm attached to this person, that person's reliable, that's fine. I can go and cause chaos and be in chaos or Mm -hmm. or go and enjoy something new and experience and fill up my brain with all this wonderful experience, knowing full well that I've got this reliable point Mm -hmm. of contact there. So I think that's, yeah. that's kind of cool. But I grew up in chaos, and it's uh, not a pleasant okay. Okay. way to grow up. Mm. But it certainly makes for an interesting mind.
2: Mm. <laughs> <That should laughs> says the way. product of chaos.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I think there's, there's good chaos. It's organized and well, reliable chaos. And yeah. then there's just utter chaos and mm. stress. Okay. And, and those are the things that you want to avoid but you either, you either sink or swim with it, you either use it to propel you and chain, make decisions about your life or you let it drown you. So um, I wasn't about to be a drowned drown. one. yeah. I used to watch okay. airplanes go over when I was a kid. I was like, oh, I need to get out of this place, I need to get out. Wow, I watched okay. the airplanes go over and I go, I wonder where they're going. And I would imagine all of these planes going to Manchester airport, or coming back from where the people had gone, what they were doing, what their lives were like. And I would kind of sit and have this imaginary, and I was like, one day, going to be on one of those, nice. hence my passport, mm. and then um, travel. I, like, I find travel quite stressful, though. <laughs> mm.
0: Can be. I hate travelling. I love arriving. <laughs> yes,
1: mm. yeah, yeah. That's what mm. I always
0: say. I'm like, nah, could do without it. Teleporting, big fan. Oh, yeah. When mm. we get that going on, but it's the arrival. I like being in different places. But yeah. sticking with the chaotic and the, what mind it's formed, do you think that it shaped you to have the interest that you have professionally from the being in the technology emerging technology space and then the game design stuff that you did previous to that, which is correlations back and forth because game design has just been rapidly evolving in the last forty years as we know mm-hmm. um, but it's very chaotic that space, and everything is new and go back 6 months ago you know chat gtp wasn't really a thing and now ai is doing its dance so i suppose i'm asking a very long question about how did that experience serve your mind of your current professional interest
1: um, yeah <clears throat> when you have a mind that is can be as chaotic as my mind can be you or it's it's i also kind of like it's like having a puppy my mind is incredibly helpful and it will bring me any old crap that it thinks might be useful to the thing I'm thinking about. So <laughs> it'll just go and dive through everything I've got and bring me an odd sock. Or thing. And it just, but it brings me information. It's like if I don't feed this with something, it will just bring me all the things I don't want it to bring me. Right, OK. Are, you know, hmm. cupboard of life. So if I feed it like that... So I love sci-fi and I love technology and I just love this idea of... We can you know we can enable ourselves to do pretty much anything with technology, so yeah, bringing all that through, bringing, I'm curious about games, I'm curious about people. People play games for really long periods of time. Why? Why? What is so engaging? It's because we've created this beautiful microcosm of how a world would be if we could structure it to meet our needs mm. psychologically, which is why we'll dive into it. Life isn't like that. Um, but we can take elements of that, the psychological way of doing things to apply that to how we design technology and how technology can be developed and what is useful about all this new array of um, tech that's coming through. Because when we're, human beings are inherently curious and inherently gonna fiddle with stuff. We're going to make things, we're going to try stuff out, we make tools. All this new tech is no different than the old tech, it's just a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, it still will take a person to make it into something amazing. Um, so yeah, so I'm fascinated by the psychology of why we do it, and um, the psychology of technology, the curiosity, and the creativity that we apply to all of it. And I know there's a, at the moment with AI coming in, go, oh, it's going to kill creativity, and I'm like, it won't kill creativity unless you can actually scoop that out of the human psyche and our genome because that's what we'll do we'll just take the new tools and we'll do something new and creative with them in new and creative wow. ways so it's really exciting it's just we don't understand it yet yeah. so we're um we're anxious because we're right at the end, at edge of this boundary at the moment talking about ai and we're all anxious so we'll step back from it and some of us will step over it and go look what i can do with this stuff mm-hmm. and that's exciting and my my role, I suppose, in that is to is to help communicate where that boundary is to people and what's useful to them, um, and what is actually, what's to be aware of, and not afraid of, but be aware of, mm. and what's to actually be embraced. And there's some really cool things at the moment that things like ChatGPT can do. It, you know, I just talk to it. I ask it to do stuff. I gave it both of your profiles off. I scraped off off your website and off yours, and I fed it in and I went, give me a summary of these two people. Give me a list of the key points of who they are. And? and it came out with, it really summarised it down beautifully. And I have these little kind of references I have of of what were the key points of, from the text, obviously it doesn't know you, but from the text what I could kind of come out with and come ask these questions with. So that was really great. And I'm like, ooh, do it to me.
3: <laughs> and I
1: was like, oh, God, I'm really boring. Um, because I hadn't given it anything useful. But, right, yeah. But it's, it's just a tool at the end of the day. But it just, a tool. It just speaks to us like it can think, but it mm. can't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. There's my, uh, my whole well, curiosity it. technology, having a, a mind that I need to feed information to. Mm. So everything on the edge of tech is always a really good resource of food.
0: Nice. It's a fascinating space to be involved with, uh, the emergent tech kind of boundary, if you like. Um, and I'm just thinking about your mind because your description of your mind from your website, which I had to look up, uh, monomaniacal. Mon,
2: mono I just learned maniacal. that one recently too.
0: Right, that's, okay, so it's a new thing. Glad I'm, I'm not like. <laughs> and the introversion that you've already mm. touched upon, the nomad, nomadic life mm. and stuff. Is there anything in there that speaks to you or you feel like, Oh, actually my mind's very, very different. Hmm. Yeah, probably quite different. Mm. Mm.
2: I, I might feel a, feel a pull to do different things, but I feel a stronger pull to finish what I've started. So I get really laser focused on one thing at a time, maybe even for years at a time. Like yeah. when I said that I was head down working on that, my company for 10 years, yeah. um, I did nothing but that for 10 years. I mean, 7 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week, no holidays, no restaurants, just laser focused on this thing for 10 years. And so then when I was done, it was like,
3: (laughs) all right, (laughs) what day is it?
2: What year is it? What am I doing? So I think I have periods of head down and head up. And is that what mono maniacal? Oh, so yeah, I learned means? that word recently. Of mono, meaning one. Maniacal, meaning like crazy Focused. for, I get crazy for one thing at a time. Hmm.
3: Okay.
0: okay, I get that from you, especially the books you've written and, mm-hmm. and the focus on your coding. Mm-hmm. So when I met you a while ago, you were just learning, getting into that. Yep. And uh, you're going, no, that's just my life at the moment. <laughs> I'm <laughs> learning <laughs> PHP or whatever you were doing yep. at the time and Java and all this other stuff. And you were just like, no, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. But it's does kind of cross paths in terms of you're also interested in owning, sorry, utilizing these tools. Mm -hmm. And as you just referenced it, they are just tools. They're inherently value neutral, right? Yeah. New technologies and new ideas that just does nothing unless a human brings some value to it. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how you approached your, because I know you code your own website, you Mm -hmm. do all your email kind of jiggery-pokery stuff. Uh, The amount of emails that you answer is just stupid. Um, How do you see technology, I suppose, is my
2: my question. Jiggery-pokery, I like that.
0: Yeah, you can have that. I'm (laughs) going to see that on your bio now. Jiggery-pokery.
2: That's what you call layman's terms. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And technical now. Um, uh, How do I approach it? Um, Hmm. Definitely means to an end. I... I get philosophical about my program. Do you do coding too? No.
1: Okay. No, there's a, there's a long backstory to that one of why not, okay. which is slightly bitter, so I'm not going bitter. into
2: it. I'd like to hear that. Mm. Um, so I get philosophical mm-hmm. with my programming. Uh, <laughs> take for example, this trip I just did to India. Mm. I was there for 10 days and I wanted to meet with 55 people in 10 days. And so I had to schedule everybody in for these like one to two hour Mm -hmm. long meetings. And so I thought, all right, I've never been a Calendly type guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I should look into Calendly. And so I went to their website. I was like, ugh, ugh. I was like, I'm not going to use this. Fuck that. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to build my own. How hard can this be? And it makes you think to the essence of like, Mm. as if you were to look at a, Bicycle or a car or a, anything and think how would I build this from scratch mm. and it makes you really look at something to, to figure out how you would build it, right? So I'm like, all right, uh, I go into the SQL directly. I'm like all right. create table Locations because I'm to two different locations for these meetings. create table availabilities Availabilities needs a location ID because I'm available at these locations from these hours okay. create table um, People the people that I'm going to meet with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just created the SQL that did the bare minimum for what I needed to meet with people, created the bare minimum web interface so people could click a link that would have a unique string that would identify them. So it would say, welcome DK, Um, uh, here's my current availabilities, pick pick one that's right for you. And as soon as they click it, it would update the table to say that this availability is now taken for this person at this location and I did it and it took about a day and a half to code that. And it felt so good. Um, cause it was interesting to dive into the, you know, philosophically, what am I doing here? What's, what's the real essence of what this is about? And when I told a few friends that I had done that every single friend, even though they don't know each other, you said the exact same thing, which is of course you did. It's <laughs> just like, cause I think I have a long history of doing this. So like when we email, oh, sure. we're using an email client that I wrote myself. Yeah. My website is all like, I wrote every line myself. And mm-hmm. uh, my store where I sell my books, I wrote that myself. And okay. so every, it's like I refuse to use Amazon. I refuse to use Calendly. Yeah. I look at all these tools and they, they look bloated to me and I don't want to be bound to some subscription, monthly dues things. So, um, so I make it myself, but I really enjoy the process. Um, speaking of you know traveling and arriving, in that case, I really do enjoy the travel itself. You do. I don't just okay. want to have um, scheduling software. I want the journey of creating okay. scheduling software.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. A lot well, going on there.
1: <clears throat> there's a lot. Um, I was just thinking of the way you were describing it. Is very much what do what do I need for this to do for me, and then you create the thing that you you need it to do for you to serve a purpose for you, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of um, technology actually is about, is not about what I need for me, it's about what, what people need from us and how are they going to get it. So it's a coming out, I suppose that's the UX side of it, which is coming from the, what do people psychologically need and how are they going to psychologically interact? In your, my interpretation is that you're designing the, the best possible route for you in that manner. Mm-hmm. but things like wider software applications will have to think about the group of people they're trying to serve and how do they bring them in, how do they meet their needs, and that makes for what you end up with is software that can appear to be bloated because it's trying to meet too many needs. Mm. And then the worst types of software is software that is just done, that's easy for the computer. So we've done this because it's easy to program it and it's easy for the, the computer can run this really fast and that's the worst kind because it doesn't consider anybody in that the people who use it in the back end or the people who are going to use it from the front end doesn't consider people or need or experience or any of those kind of um, issues that people bring to an interaction so that's when the tool is actually just useless it's like a two-headed hammer or something it's pointless it's possible but pointless and that's for me technology has to be has to have a Point. It has mm. to meet a need, um, and it has to be useful for the people who are enjoyable. And that's the thing I want to take from games, is games are enjoyable. Why can't we just take that to technology and software development and experiences? But um, yeah, single-use mm. single, single use, um, UX from yeah. the developer perspective. That's what I took yeah. from that. That's maybe not true, but that's it kind is, of my perception, because yeah. the rest of it yeah. doesn't meet your needs. So you're redesigning the world. Mm. to meet your needs. But I
2: think I do that in life too. So a lot of life decisions I've made are with this same kind of thing. Like, I don't care what everybody else is doing or I've looked at it and it doesn't look appealing. I don't want a normal life. So what do I really want? You know, like I really want my kid to grow up in nature. Well, what if I moved to New Zealand? Mm. You know, that was to a lot of my friends. That was a weird, radical, shocking mm. decision. Um, and things like that, it's kind of related, you know? It's, it's ignoring what everybody else is doing and then asking yourself, digging into your soul a bit, saying, well, what do I really want? And what's a very direct way to get that? Or what's a way to get very much of that thing that I want? Mm. Not just mm. some, not, not moderation and temper, but go all the way to the thing I want.
0: So. But the crossover is what I wanted to ask about. You mentioned AI, ChatGTP, you GPT. utilize in it. And- <laughs> Also, you're, with the greatest respects, old school, from a perspective, you still write books, you code your stuff, rather mm-hmm. than re- rely on it. Because I'm sure you could have went to chat GDP and ask it to create that SQL right, right. stuff, because it's now spitting out code, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. If you deconstruct it, it gets you half the way there, or even 90% way there, yeah. and then you just have to jiggery-poggery. Yeah. How do you feel about, as I created, like I just finished my book about public speaking. Um, And I don't like that experience of writing. It's not my favorite medium, Mm -hmm. so it's a real slog. But I stayed away from the online stuff to help me. But upon reflection, maybe I'm being a little bit too precious about the creative process there. And I'm wondering, as a book writer yourself, how do you see the emergence of these new technologies to assist in the creative act of creation?
2: Hmm. It depends on everybody's different. Mm -hmm.
0: Are yours? Um,
2: it's funny. I see a lot of people using GPT-3 and chat GPT-2 to, to generate content, which to me just feels like pollution. You know, it's like, mm, okay. it just, it's generating stuff. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. hey, look how many uh, cheap 50 cent widgets we can create that yeah. just kind of pollute the waters. You know, a lot of... Um, A lot of words that are being churned out by GPT are just digital pollution. Mm. Uh.
1: I just I think at this one because um, there's a lot of humans who are churning out words that are just pollution. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they're using it. Like it's just but human generated word pollution is just a bigger thing. I mean, I'm reading the crap that some people write and Mm, put out there. It's like I don't know if there's any difference. It's like well a machine's doing it, so you know, was it's automating the generation of crap. Right. But I don't think it is. Um so it's But don't
2: you think it's I'm actually talking about the same people. The same people who were were manually churning out crap for clicks or whatever are now like, Ooh, cool, something can help me churn out crap.
1: Yeah, but the nice mm. thing is um you can actually have um and OpenAI does bring this out, where you can fact where you can run that text through a checker to see whether it's been generated by an right. AI. Right. So if you can do that, then I'm sure there's an API somewhere that can go scan across. We can use a plug-in to scan across and just have mm. the text, and just go. This is all AI generated. I don't want any AI generated text in my in my feeds, please. You telling your right. curation AI mm. to not include any AI generated, and so it will be possible. It's just we haven't got to that point yet. Yeah. But
0: we want to cancel each other out because you're also <laughs> going to get another AI that runs the checker on the checker.
2: <laughs> or can scramble it to will avoid will scramble and checked. add
0: more emotional language it feels like it was a human.
1: Right. <laughs> but it's just, this
2: is And it'll it.
0: just like start, I'm not okay. like knocking it, I have no va- um, kind of response to it other than it's just a, a wave, another wave of technology well, and the waves will just keep coming in.
2: Right. So it's I just, haven't answered your question yet. Okay. So... You asked, like, how do I see the use of these tools? So the reason I started with that pollution example is I think there are different types of writers. Mm. Some are being paid by the page or by the paragraph and just want to churn out stuff and they don't really care. Um, Or some have some points and they want to embellish them. So they'll use GPT to kind of say, like, here's the here's the three sentences I have. GPT, please elaborate on this for me. And it's like, oh, cool. I just turned three sentences into three paragraphs. So that to me is kind of like the um, school approach where somebody says, please write a paper uh, on this, or you must write a paper on this subject of the Napoleonic something, and it has to be 12 pages. And you go, ugh, I've got like nothing to say about this. So GPT, please generate 12 pages Mm -hmm. of crap on this. i was like there. So it's unfortunately a mindset that a lot of writers still get stuck in is thinking they have to, like, the more words, the better, right? So to me, I I really like, you know, the less words, the better. Mm. Uh, The shorter I can say something, the better. The more I can edit myself, the better. Um, And so I could use GPT to also do that, like you said, like the summarizing of our profiles. Mm -hmm. But to me, that is my favorite challenge is deciding what words to Mm. let go of and which words to remain. And then, you know, like kind of the, that's my favorite part. Like that, the, the way that feels for my brain to churn as I'm making those words, I wouldn't want to give that up. Mm. Um, Same ways when I was uh, in a band, I was a full-time musician for 15 years. Um, and I was in a band, and every now and then, uh, like later when I was doing the website, they said, why, why wouldn't you get somebody to do the website for you? And I'd say, for the same reason that I didn't just get somebody to write the songs for me. This <laughs> is my unique contribution. Yeah. The songwriting is the reason I'm doing all of this. Yeah. So to me, it's like the, the writing is the reason I'm doing all of this, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't want to outsource that. But to finally answer your question, while writing, you ask yourself questions. You say like, you know, am I full of shit right now? Wait, is that right? Is there another way of looking mm. at this? Is that true? What I just said? Wait, what's another way of thinking about this? Uh, or you think of some of your role models. You know, what would Picasso yeah. say? What would uh, this person say? Or if I were to call a friend right now, what would they say? And sometimes you do call a friend, uh, even if you hate phones. Call <laughs> um, <I love> <laughs> a um, So sometimes you do call a friend, and say, hey, Maya, can I? read you this thing. I can't tell if this is good or not. And I'll read it to Maya and she'll say, uh, like, "Mm, you kind of lost me halfway through. I think you kind of, I'm like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing at this point. So that's something where I have started to use uh, GPT-3 a couple years ago and chat GPT just the last few months to ask it questions like my little digital buddy because I'm sick of bothering Maya.
1: That's something I... I can completely relate to because I, I have chat GPT. I work a lot singularly because mm-hmm. um, I work in emerging tech and I'm at the edge of things. I, I don't have a big team that sits mm-hmm. with me. I have access to a lot of people across the company, which is wonderful. But I sit and work on this boundary and create content. I don't have really anyone to talk to about this stuff. It's yeah. really difficult. So i do- like, so now I've got this little monster
3: <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: that I can just go. Am I right about this with you know this quantum mechanics thing? Is this actually going to work? And then it kind of comes up with some stuff. Bearing in mind, I know it's um, 2021 cutoff point for it, so mm. some stuff it's got no idea. Um, but it's really good at testing theory, and then it says something, and sometimes it says something so stupid or blatantly wrong. I'm like, nah. So then I go and look it up and go, actually, this is uh, true. Can you can you incorporate this? And can you? And then it can. And then ah, it's like, okay. so then I, I kind of use it like a, a way to bounce ideas. A way to obviously create text that isn't quite so heavy cognitive load, because like yourself, I'm a very visual person, writing is an acquired skill. But it's like a buddy. It's a buddy I can chat to and I can talk to and not like a research assistant. It's like, just go and find me, you know, 10 facts on this. And I look and go, "Hmm, do I agree? Do I disagree? But it's always when you get to the edge of relying on it to tell you stuff you don't know, don't do that. Yeah. If you know things and you have a good idea about how the concepts are around different types of technology because I chat to it a lot about tech. Um, it's quite good, but it will throw up some crap and some blatant lies and just something it's put together that's like not true. And I'm like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> but if you take it at face value, if you go into it going, "Hey, this thing knows everything. Mm. I can ask it a question and it will come up with an answer for me and that answer is true." That is not not a good way to go and there yeah. are certain types of people who won't quiz it they'll just take it at face value yeah mm-hmm. that you need to be extremely careful of and that would be the thing i caution is just don't take it at face value use it as a buddy it's great well, i can't good wait for the advice. voice interface just want to chat to it and i'm like i'm never <laughs> just, like, just chatting away and i'm
0: I can see the next, next iteration of a little screen with a little face you know and you get one of the, um, one of the pal. digital
1: humans and you feed it through that yeah. and you've got a digital human or a monkey. and you capture it, it right parrot, parrot. <laughs> really I'd just the parrots yeah or
3: stingray
0: just- Oh, oh it comes circle. on and chats to you.
1: <laughs> so, yes, I think there's some beautiful things that it can yeah, do. Indeed. Um, and for those who find writing a high cognitive load, mm-hmm. obviously for you, it really mm-hmm. stimulates you and yeah. it brings mm-hmm. you a lot of endorphins. Mm-hmm. For me, it just makes me feel crushed and a bit painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to have that relief of not having to churn through every word, and question, having written a thesis and my PhD, which was, it took me three months and absolutely murdered my brain.
3: Right, um, yeah, of course. To the
1: point where I was so sick afterwards, I just, oh I can't do that. So having this little buddy that can just do mm. stuff for me, is like, oh, that's a relief. Yes. A relief from my, someone with my brain. Mm.
0: But what I find both of you doing as well is quite similar because you're both translators, um, but mm. in different, I suppose, arenas. Mm. You're very good at translating entrepreneurial insights and marketing and branding and stuff even though you probably don't call it that but mm-hmm. I, that's what I see from your books and mm-hmm. your writing and the, you're a distillate, distillator, distiller, distiller, cool. Cool. distiller cool. of wisdom right mm-hmm. you kind of really do write lightly mm-hmm. uh, but I appreciate the amount of work that it gets needs to go through to get to that point. Thanks. And The same for you in your role the amount of inf- the amount of curation you much have to do mm. to then distill from an emerging technology boundary stuff um, and even just adding in the game design that you've done and the world building aspects of things just, uh, and then having probably to sit in front of people who aren't in that realm and translate across boundaries that's a massive skill that i think is under known yeah uh, and also under
1: I think when I describe what I do, I like to people, what do you do? And I make connections. I make connections between these really odd things over here and these. And then I try and make a prediction that will make sense at a human level, a societal level, about what that will mean. So I try and understand everything across emerging technology from where we are with cloud computing, because we haven't quite, not everyone is cloud-based, right over to quantum computing. And then sort of say, how does this all mix together, and what do we need to look at, and where does biotech actually come in with um, all these things that are to do with, you know, VR? And I hold all that space, research that space, and then I kind of try and provide insights for when someone says, what's chat GPT going to mean to me? And I was like, mostly immediately, it will mean probably a lot of, um, um, you know, cost savings on your productivity, because yeah. you're not asking people to take on a huge cognitive load. And that could be days of saving which is immediate that you can use the longer term implications you know could be this but it's that translating and holding that and then understanding where that sits within um, the global mega trends that are happening so Mm -hmm. what happens when you put the pressure of climate change onto this and you push um, energy scarcity and what happens which technology is going to push and bubble to the top based on all these things that are coming in, the aging population, we have, um, we are now losing people, we will be, we've hit a point where we will now reduce the amount of population globally of people. And that leaves a lot of countries, especially places like Japan and certain parts of New Zealand with an aging population with no underpinning to support them. Which means that, how do we find that solution? And that solution is going to come from a lot of applications of technology. So understanding what that means and being ready for it. So I talk a lot about digital twins because I think they're gonna be incredibly useful for dealing some of these big global problems that climate change and aging population, all these different things and war and scarcity. And mm. that's what I hold in my head all the time with the little dog that wants to find things to bring to me. It's all that. Fascinating. Um, so yeah, so when I say to someone, I make connections, I mean that. Yeah. Mm. So which is, I'm a very big picture. I'm not very good at finishing stuff. Um, Mm. I think you you were describing, you'll be heads down. you'll finish. Did that with my PhD. I I found this thing I found fascinating, which was what's creativity? Why do people play games? What's the psychology behind that? Why they do that? And I investigated it for over 10 years and then I got an answer and went, okay, now (laughs) I know. I was like, God, what do I do with my life now? But now I apply it in this kind of way of understanding how people and technology can combine. But yeah, I can't finish stuff like that. I just, uh, I, like, I need a million things to play with.
3: Nice. But.
2: I like that. Did you see the movie Basquiat, about no. the, the painter Jean-Michel Basquiat? He, um, the movie captured it well, but apparently he did this in real life, as he would, in a big studio like this, um, keep like 20 canvases around and he would kind of like go over to one and, you know, and like put a couple strokes on one and look over here and like put a couple oh, right. strokes on oh, that one and go over there and do this for a while and I can relate to that yeah it sounds like yeah it. you should see the movie it's, worth, oh, it's worth
1: it I'm a big film a film person as well so I like a lot of mm. watching a lot of different movies cool. and I start being a visual person
2: David Bowie plays Andy Warhol <gasps> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Enough
2: said. Enough said. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, we're all wired differently, right? The more I travel, the more I meet people, the more I go, oh, yeah, there's subtlety in everybody. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can group people and stereotype. But, yeah, just you two humans represent probably different scales of a cognitive kind of approach to life and your own work, in inverted commerce, The highly personalized, single-persona-driven guide mm-hmm. to the wider, global, viewed lady, that you are that then has to translate back into organizations that you're contracted into or have clients of very different but again similar in terms of the translation piece
3: yeah
1: but you um you do this as well you story tell so this is a kind Mm -hmm. of um the universal connector between human beings is story um and you Mm -hmm. are very good at helping people explain their story to to communicate so i can do all these things going on in my head but it's the communication of that outwards and you have this amazing talent for for drawing people in and helping them get their stories out there and the way that you speak is really confidence building and the the way you speak and the your, your surety of body posture is actually really reassuring so you, you get people to draw towards you and then you allow them to bring their stories out in a safe space like today. And I think that's an amazing talent because you are drawing from them and listening and pulling these things out to create a story that you've helped them spin. And you did this you. with me once when I was at DIA and it was mm. great. And I was like, oh, that was so good. And I've forgotten it all now. And I so regret <laughs> <laughs> regret it because it's such yeah. a talent to tell a story to and that's i find what blocks me sometimes is i'm not good at the story Hence, thank little, you
0: actually. i really appreciate those words well there's a great quote that i can't remember who said it someone will look it up you know that the world is not made of atoms it's made of stories mm. right and then when you see in everybody their ability sorry their their propensity for wanting to share because everybody has that in them they don't and listen back. But the deficit is, like you said, the confidence or the articulation mm. or the the arena in which they're in, because they don't like speaking to bigger people. And I know a lot of amazing storytellers. Second you put them on stage, they kind of fall over.
3: Hmm.
0: And I know a lot of great public speakers who aren't very good storytellers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a Venn diagram that you want to get to, right? Where mm-hmm. you've got to be good at holding space, posture, and everything else. While still, also understanding brevity as a skill, storytelling models and stuff. And when I go and do my masterclasses, which are always kind of fun, and it's a very uh, immersive learning experience, because I get people to do. I obviously speak and show and illustrate, but it's like, now it's your turn. Let's play, let's try, let's get it wrong, because that's, and you're in a safe space, and usually that's why there's a box of tissues, because usually there's tears, because sometimes it's the worst thing you can ask of someone is to stand and speak. Mm-hmm. for a lot of people it's the worst thing but once you give them that opportunity to and the tools coming back to tools in a way and the confidence and suddenly there's a release of emotions sometimes they cry but in a good way and everybody comes around them and celebrates it's like that's the first step right and i'm interested in also our upbringing if i can bring it back to an english slash welsh british experience of education compared mm. to your probably varied education because you bounced around but let's just say an american centric mm. education even though you went elsewhere mm. it's very different to ours from a perspective of voice yeah and i really struggle with uh when i meet people who are americans from a perspective of going i love how bold they are and how mm. unafraid they are of speaking and it, in whatever context many of them just speak Mm -hmm. And they they got great projection, because they've been doing it since day dot, right? But they're taught that. Their constitution, the First Amendment of the Constitution, Mm -hmm. the right to have voice, right Mm -hmm. to speak. And -hmm. it's like, if you come from a place like that, of course, then when you travel, most people are going to think of you as loud. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're not loud, you just don't fear your voice. And that's what we had a deficit in growing up. Speak when you're spoken to. It's not polite to speak up. Mm. Yeah. So when um, you meet British people and other cultures as well, you know, Asian cultures, it's hard for them to stand in their voice, Mm. you know, in a wider abstract concept. So I find that really interesting when I'm travelling and helping people to stand and speak. Yeah. The cultural differences.
1: It's um, the cultural differences as well and also the expectations on gender. Um, Totally. There's that.
0: So women... Lots of things, Definitely
1: not, you know, you're not really encouraged to... You're encouraged to nurture and and allow others to have their Mm -hmm. voice, but you don't get to have your own voice. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm having my own voice. But I still carry all of that baggage that says, oh, well, you know, you're just putting yourself forward. You're being self-promotion. You're not being. Who are you helping with this? Well, me. Aren't I important that I can help me speak and have a voice? Because there's other girls and women who want to hear a voice that sounds like them.
0: Mm. And, and there's an extreme to that as well because if you find a woman who is so confident it's like, oh, look at her, you know Aggressive,
1: she's, look at that aggressive and woman No,
0: it's just like <laughs> if you put that on a guy, it'd be like bold confident, it's like, come yeah. on, we've got to drop those things. It's getting much, much better definitely, the more I kind of deliver my stuff but it's certainly there um, and it's certainly mm. like a, an undercurrent uh, something to be aware of and sometimes call out but certainly is an undercurrent there still around gender disparity of i am um,
1: found getting women to swear women aren't feeling they're, they're feeling small i remember playing um was it cards against humanity at um a conference and the women were like oh no i don't want to play this it's it's not very nice
3: oh, okay and i was like "Can I go
1: <laughs> and then i was sat with um my friend um katarina and she was like I want to swear more. And I went, so do I. So we did. So we started playing this thing and we started swearing more. And then it was just this nice, because it was allowed to happen, it was just women at this conference, then there was a little bit more of, yeah, it's okay to be just a little bit mean for a bit of fun. You're not hurting anyone, but just let it go, you know, just swear a bit and slap a card down and laugh. (laughs)
3: <laughs> and it was a really nice and it was i think
1: it was that we were waiting for the election results to come in so god that, that shows how long ago it was right back like in 2016 or something and we just learned that brexit had happened so we were oh. just like drowning our sorrows and trying to wait to see if we could a, a new um prime minister yeah. and so yeah it was having this swearing wow. voice playing just not being not being good yeah women are always supposed to be good and nurturing we'll
0: some time, i just a couple of weeks ago i was in ireland Dublin. Spend some time there and everything's a fac. You know? <laughs> Second word. You know, have you spent time in Ireland mm-hmm. and, and the language use of swearing word is just hilarious to me. Yeah. It's uh it's beautifully it's it's lyrical. It's, it's like Scotland.
1: It allows it has a really positive impact on your brain. The studies mm. show that swearing releases endorphins and it allows you to just feel like it like decision making it's like yeah. a tiny mini decision you're exploding with a swear word to <laughs> to ground something within yourself and to mm. own it and i think i really enjoy that <laughs> <I read. And
0: laughs> do you have a favorite swear word
1: yeah but you probably won't want it on here okay <laughs> it's that one then how about you but do you think it's
2: related to being considerate that you're talking about a verbal version of it, but I'm just thinking there are times in life when it's like we've been too considerate, like too giving, too self-deprecating or uh, lowering our value in a transaction and kind of deferring to somebody else's value in the terms of being considerate and being nice. And sometimes it goes too far, Mm
3: -hmm. and you
2: have to be selfish. There's a... uh, There's a fascinating little book I found on my grandmother's bookshelf long ago called The Art of Selfishness, Mm -hmm. Um, intriguing title. And the intro said, um, I forget his name, David something, said, uh, I grew up with five brothers and sisters um, and a very sick mother, but I always wanted to be an artist. Uh, And when I was 17, I got accepted to go to the Vienna Art School, which was like a lifelong dream. He grew up somewhere in the middle of America, I think St. Louis. And he said, um, but my family said, well, of course you can't go. Your mother is very, very sick. She could die any day. Um, And he said, I thought about it. And I said, I need to do this for myself. I need to go. Mm. So he said, I did. I moved to Vienna and I went to art school and it was the best thing I did. But my family didn't speak to me for years. And he said they were so furious that I was so selfish to go to art school. And he said, my other five brothers and sisters stayed right there by my mother's bedside to take care of her in her dying days. And he said, well, as I write this, it's 25 years later, my mother is still alive, and my five brothers and sisters are still by her bedside waiting, (laughs) you know, expecting for her to die any day. He said, I've had a great career in art, and I've done my thing. And he said... I think there's a value, an underrated value in selfishness Mm. that we tend to be too selfless sometimes. And so as you're talking about like the, um, you know, the liberation of swearing sometimes. uh, And I think in a way, like you can do that on life size too. You can say like, all right, you know what? I've been too selfish. I mean, sorry, I've been too selfless. I've been too giving. I've been too accommodating. I've been too compromising. And maybe like the breakup yeah. that you described at the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah, sometimes yeah. you go like, ah, I can't handle this anymore. Yeah, yeah. I need to. Ah, I need to be selfish. And somebody goes, how dare you? How dare,
1: how dare you? you look after your own needs? Right, yeah.
2: right. But yeah. Um, yeah. yes, I've had to do that personally, and I've had to do that business-wise mm. uh, once or twice, which felt really weird to like, you know, fucking muscle up. I I destroyed somebody's company once. Wow. Uh, on okay. purpose, because they were fucking with my clients, and right. I, uh, I just kind of said, "All right, it's it's us or you, and mm. it's not going to be me." <laughs> so, mm.
0: fuck you. That self-preservation. Preser- yeah, in and,
2: and so I, I basically canceled the contract that we had with this company, because right. they were screwing everything up on their end, and I yanked the contract and it destroyed their company. Yeah, and it's like I felt a tiny bit guilty about that, but I'm like, no, this was it was kind of survival it was them or me and mm. and but damn sometimes it feels good to acknowledge your power
0: and stop being selfless yeah. an agency uh, mm. that's the reason why they say put on your mask before helping others mm. you know in in the air airline right you know you have to secure yourself first before yeah women
1: don't get that messaging very much they get the messaging right. that you're there for you're always there to look pretty or you're there to be feminine, or you're there to look after someone else's needs. Yeah. And that comes through a lot from childhood, um, even from you know your very feminist parents that happen to be, it comes through and you have to then become aware that that impacts on how you deal with people. And you end up giving way too much away of yourself. And then yeah. you go, oh, I've got nothing left. Yeah. So you have to reel it back in. And it's the, it's the same in kind of like working in technology as a woman you really kind of you don't get believed in the first thing i say something about technology and then, but you you know i can tell that like oh yeah yeah well if a man said it i'd probably you know listen so i have to keep going um, but there's you know there's more than men out there in the world who um who want to deal with technology or need to deal with technology and you sort of see the splits you know there's some really great technologists and i say technologists because Mm. we understand deeply about technology. We may not code, because that isn't all of technology. It's a piece of it. Like design is a piece and UX is a piece and the psychology of technology and the understanding. You know, just because someone can build a server doesn't make them a better person in technology than Mm. it does as someone who um, can understand how to get the best out of people for the UX, for the interface. Mm. So Mm. technologists are valuable and you need to speak to the fact that we, we have this opportunity to understand and engage with technology on the terms and speak about it. And that's where I kind of want to come from is there is use for everyone to be able to mm. be in this space. It's not just about being able to code. So I was getting to my point somewhere in there. I like it.
0: Well, the whole digital minimalism uh, rise of that in the last few years, I've re- really enjoyed. Going back to dumb phones, things like that trying to like for a while I had on my phone the interface was just black and white you can do that and just so you're not then through the ui and ux uh controlled by the colors or anything like that you know the psychology then is just black and white and it really did kind of temper my use of my phone Mm. just by changing it to black and white and now people are going back to dumb phones and having like digital cameras Again, mm-hmm. these small d- digital cameras, because they don't have it on their phone anymore. Uh, and I know minimalism is a big thing for you, as it is mm-hmm. for me. And that's how we met the Minimalists. Oh yeah, back at, back in the day. And yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, there's a couple of lads uh, who started min- theminimalists.com, and they've done quite well. Bless mm-hmm. them, uh, Ryan and uh, Josh, and. Uh, we became mutual friends of those in a different mm-hmm. way. And the last, one of the last time we hang out was up in Auckland. Remember when you right, spoke at the, the event? The race track. Pre-COVID, yeah, random. But and you were like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah. I know them." Right. Uh, so weird how small things. But minimalism, you big, yeah, you you still kind of on that track.
2: Yeah, it's funny yeah. how everybody has their own definition. Yes. Of it. So a friend of mine, uh, Tynan, T Y N A N, dot com. If you want to see Tynan. his website. Um, <laughs> he is nomadic and travels a lot so his version of minimalism is constantly buying new things to see how small he can get his travel kit to be <laughs> whereas to me that violates my principle of minimalism which is not buying stuff unless you right. absolutely have to yes. So it's like it's funny that we he's a good friend but we compare and contrast our different versions of minimalism um I get really into uh, my version of digital minimalism is at the yeah. code level. Like if you go to my Sivers yeah. website and if you do view source on the HTML, I typed every single character there by hand. There, I do not use any code generators cuz code generators spit out more code than is necessary. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who just installs WordPress. It's like it's simple for them. They go, "Well, install WordPress." And WordPress goes and generates hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lines of code, which then anybody that views your site goes like, God, why is my connection so slow? It's because the WordPress site is like putting tons of stuff through the wire just to deliver that paragraph that you wrote, Mm. which was really only, you know, 115 bytes, but it delivers like seven megs of information just to get, just to get that paragraph from your brain to somebody else's brain. So my minimalism is, I don't put a single line of code in that doesn't need to be there. And it's just like um, that makes me happy. It's there's a certain um, there's a certain aesthetic that we all Mm. have that pleases our minimalism, whether like you say, whether it's a feature phone and a camera or some people just use a Moleskin notebook. Uh um, To me, like the minimal lines of code makes me really happy when I look at like something I've made and I go.
3: hmm,
0: Yeah, it feels feels good." good. Um, well,
2: jinx. Um, there we go. And, um, and another version of that is sometimes like even in my own home, I uh, I used to have a typical fridge that just came with the house. and But I only ever had like a few things in a big fridge. <laughs> but the fridge kind of goes yeah. and has a sound and I work at home and I'm a very quiet person. And so I would always kind of scour that fridge <laughs> making noise. And so I moved into a place in Karori that came with no appliances. I was like, okay. yes, I finally get to start from scratch. No legacy mm-hmm. fridge. So I did something I've been wanting to do for years. I found a completely silent fanless fridge. I, I forget the name of the technology right now, but they're usually just used on boats, sailboats, okay. because it can be powered by a gas canister or a little oh, bit yeah. of electricity. Okay. So it's a top-lifting fridge because when you lift up the air the cold air stays in Or oh, the front it's the, yeah you know, the cold just... air comes out when you open the door and it has no moving parts and it's completely silent and it's small and when i look at my little fridge i'm like yes like <laughs> that makes me so deeply happy irrationally happy
0: well it is that um, quote you shouldn't have should only have two things in your home um things that are useful and things that are beautiful mm. And I nice. think you've just summed that up, <laughs> that story, yeah. which is about minimalism. Sorry, you would.
1: No, I was just thinking about um, sound, sound sensitivity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a definite thing. I'm also quite an introvert. I don't mind standing up in front of people and talking about a thing, but if I had to stand up and talk about myself, I don't think I'd like that. I'm mm-hmm. not very good in big groups of people where you have to switch conversations. I yeah, don't really. mind that either get quite stressed. Um, but sound sensitivity is is something I have done since I was really young, I'm gonna admit this on camera. I sleep with earplugs in, because I just find sounds will just wake me, probably because I was very anxious as a child. Okay. But, so yeah, sound sensitivity, and it becomes more and more Aware and I think my partner as well is sound sensitive. So we, we can both be in the living room with us noise cancelling headphones on,
3: <laughs>
1: doing our own thing, kind of like just have the quiet or just to filter mm. the sound. And I find offices incredibly stressful yeah. um, because of the noise and the unexpected noise. I can, if it's an anticipated noise, I can manage it. But this kind of like just these odd sounds and noises and a, a, a repetitive <laughs> noise or stuff would drive me insane so yeah to have things that are quiet um it would be lovely but i don't That's know if i could a, go yeah. down to the the big fridge i have
3: yeah That's i like, the way I like it, food no, you're, you're
0: <laughs> well i've got that sen- sound sensitivity but for a completely different re- reason because i'm hearing impaired so i've had operations and stuff so i'm 50 uh, and 75 percent. Wow. Uh, levels so yeah i should have hearing aids, but I watch. But why? Uh, did you
2: grow up that way or did something happen?
0: Yeah. Lots of, uh, when I grew up, lots of problems with my ears, lots of ear infections. And then, uh, to bore you I had uh, bones cut, cut out of my ears. I had a lovely scar on the back of my ear. If you want to look at it later, uh-huh. uh, it's called mastoidectomies. So okay. the mastoid bones, the little bones that reverberate in your ear beyond the eardrum, cause mm. you hear in two different ways. If you know the the air conductivity of, of hearing and then the bone conductivity of hearing as well. So my bone conductivity is good. That's why I wear bone conductive headphones that sit in the oh, front yeah, ear. Yeah. Wow! Uh, that leave my ears open, but I hate anything in my ears and on my ears and stuff like that. But if I'm in a room, with like an office for example, with other sound going on, I struggle to hear you. Yeah. Mm. Because I have no peripheral sound, close sound, because my sensitivity's shot. Yeah. So I hear everything. So I struggle in pubs restaurants and stuff, unless it's got good sound, acoustic yeah. design, which yeah. you very rarely have in these places, especially when they're trying to look all hipster and funky and it's all concrete oh. and wood, mm-hmm. everything is just boomy. as that. The second I go in there, it's just like I'm leaning am. into people constantly just to hear them and they're mm-hmm. so close and they're like leaning back sometimes because I'm trying to get closer to them, but it's just, yeah.
1: Yeah, the sound, the, sound, the way the sound is set up in rooms, I found really challenging. Um, open plan offices are the worst because it just bounces all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I noticed coming from the UK when I got to New Zealand is the UK had done quite a bit of sound deadening over time. Mm. And it was manageable when I got to New Zealand and it was very much those non-sound and bare surfaces and I just couldn't bear it because it was just too much sound uh, bouncing around for me to be able to just process thoughts. So like, I just couldn't. had to leave a lot of these places or sit right. outside. From outside, that's fine. Mm. Okay. Uh, internal stuff, yeah. yeah. I find quite a challenge. So yeah, sounds.
0: So you sexy. said you are a
2: quiet worker. Yeah, but Should so on this point, um, when I lived in Singapore, um, which is like about two thirds of the population is of Chinese origin, and I was talking with somebody there about wanting to set up a like a, a silent co-working space, with everybody would have privacy and silence. And every, the, all the reactions I got from it were very lukewarm, like,
3: mm, okay, huh, all
2: right, well, maybe, F- somebody finally explained to me, they said, you know, Derek, I don't think you understand, like, in Chinese culture, noise is life, like, Ooh, n- you know, but... noise just means vibrant, it's life, and yeah. and silence is death, and I don't think this is going to work in Singapore. I went, oh, interesting. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, we're doing a very uh, Wellington-focused talk, so... You know, Monsoon Poon? Mm -hmm. Uh, I went there with my dad once when he was visiting from America, and he has a background in architecture. And it was only the two of us and one other table on the other side of the room with four people. And yet the place was thunderously loud Mm -hmm. just from those four people. I said something to him about, God, I can't believe it's so noisy in here and it's almost empty. And he looks up and he goes, they did it on purpose. He said, a lot of places to make a place feel vibrant and lively there's a certain kind of thing they've done to the ceiling here to purposely make it noisier and more clamorous because it makes it feel more lively and full. So, so they've wow. amplified. They've deliberately amplified
0: wow. the sound.
1: That's interesting, because I always like, find it too noisy in there. Yeah.
0: There
1: we go. <laughs> yeah. So now I know why. They've
0: amplified <laughs> Purpose. It. yeah. yeah. Mm. What things haven't we talked about over to you guys? What questions <gasps> do you have? Well, I guess some more water. Anybody wants? some I had some
1: kind of thing, because you obviously spent, um, up to 29 years of age of your life pursuing music. Mm-hmm. Um, and and do you still pursue music? Why? What um, I'm not being, I'm not very musical. So okay. for me, this is like music to me is just, it, I can listen to stuff, it's great, but I have no aptitude. So I'm always fascinated mm-hmm. by people who do. So
2: I mean, I'll, I'll forever speak the language. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to have, music on in the background because it's like a person talking, you know, like not just the lyrics, but everything musically. Like I went to Berkeley School of Music. I'm, you know, got a degree in music. I'm very trained in music. So anytime music's on, I know what's going on. It's like I can hear all the intervals and the chords and okay, mm-hmm. the major six, and there we go, the diminished third and <laughs> such. And um, I get overly analytical because I'm overly trained, I guess. Um, so I'll always speak music but as far as a um having it be my pursuit my uh my focus it, it just complete i completely lost it when i started my company which was a music distribution company and i had been a full-time musician for 15 years from the age of 14 to 29 i was monomaniacal on focused on only one thing which was my music and um, from the age of 18 to 29, I was actually made my living doing that. I bought a house in Woodstock, New York, just with the money I made touring Amazing. and um, produced people's records, played on people's records. But mostly it was like all about me. But then at the age of 29, I set up this uh, little online music seller uh, called CD Baby. And suddenly it was like when a player becomes a coach. It's like I had my years In the spotlight on the field and suddenly now i'm on the sidelines helping everybody else with their career so it was just to me it was like a an abrupt switch from being the the player to being the behind the scenes guy Mm. and yeah music just never came back as my expression
3: it's
1: funny that because i had the same thing with um with games Mm. when you I enjoyed games, I enjoyed playing, all those kind of things. But when I'd started to pursue the PhD research and got so into what was underneath them and knew them inside and out, and I couldn't play them any longer. Oh, because it, it, okay. it, like you, it's like, oh, I could see where the faults were, or I could see right. how they'd done that thing, and it stole the, just the joy of playing them. Mm. And I found that my fascination had actually shifted from the playing of games to the understanding of the why we play games and it sort mm. of, it broke it apart. So I always look at them as an analytical exercise. I play some games now and I get so far and I go, okay, I can see how they've done that now. And I just walk away. Right. Um, so I can't do that finishing piece. So I it kind of, I have a lot of respect for them, but yeah. now I don't work in them. And I wouldn't want to go into the games industry to, to build games mm. or produce games okay. now. But I know a lot about them. So yeah, it kind of, mm. doing something so much can change your relationship to it.
2: Yeah, I, I feel bad for people that work in the film industry oh, that, yeah. that lose the, the magic of uh, suspended belief. Yes. A suspended disbelief. Um, I'm watching a film that I, I lived <coughs> in Los Angeles for seven years and my friends would sit and watch the credits and recognize all their friends in there. They'd kind of, um, while the movie's playing, just say something like, yeah, see the lighting there? My buddy
3: did that. Oh, and it's like, they're seeing sweet, it as like right? a project.
2: Yeah. They know that these are actors speaking lines. Whereas like when I see a movie, I just, I'm always right in, in it. Yeah. Like the video so, games. Well, so,
1: yeah. sorry. I was just saying it's the story. I think when you play a game or when you watch a movie, you're in, you want to be into that story. You want right. to be a, a, a protagonist in that story. And when you know how they're put together, mm-hmm. it lifts you outside of the story. And I feel mm-hmm. like you can never get back in to that side of that part of that story. Now, I had that with with film as well, when I started to learn about film studies, how mm. they were made to get built, and, and then I'm like, oh, and it ruined it for me for ages. Mm. I couldn't watch film without doing exactly that thing, so I stopped, and now I can watch films again because I love them, but I right. never got it back with games.
0: I was going yeah. to tell a quick story about what you both were just describing. I was lucky enough to go and see a, like a pre-showing of Avatar, the new one that oh. came out over at Park Road, mm-hmm. uh, which is where it was edited. Um, I know a couple of people like you see involved in that thing. So I got family and friends, crew, invite to go and just see it, which is great. Sat down, chatting to the guy next to me. Turns out he was the sound designer on it. So I was like, you must know every line of this. He was like, every line. i would go through and scope it all out mm-hmm. and changes. And uh, I said, so will this be an odd experience for you? He said, "Ah, this is the thing. I haven't seen the film. I've seen only bits of the film out of order, because
3: hmm. mm-hmm.
0: we don't edit the film from front to end. So I started, he said, and I said, where did you start the film? He said, yeah, at the end, in terms of editing it, the sound design to make it all. F-. And then we went back and then we were in the middle and then we had to, pr- uh, after it was all done, then we had to do some more things and someone else came in and mucked some stuff up. So yeah. He said, so this is my one and only time of watching the film. Wow. And I was like, one and only, he said, oh, yeah, I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> I know it, <laughs> okay. but I don't know it in this order. Right. And I'm like, okay, fascinating. So
1: I just wanted closure, I suppose. Yes, like, I, I suppose, yeah.
0: He oh, looked so that's tired. what it was. Yeah. 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 He looked tired. <laughs> 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 Bless him.
1: <laughs>
2: There's some movies that, you know, my kid wanted to see Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, <laughs> 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 oh, God, I've seen yeah. that so many times. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. But did yeah. you?
2: Yeah, I watched it one more time.
0: Yeah, and you are still going. It's still a good film. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've just had
3: enough. Okay. No, we, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. come we, to that We point. live
2: here in this thing where it's, um, I joked once, I was, a friend was visiting from America and she had just done some of the usual New Zealand touristy things. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, I've got something to show you. And we were sitting at the waterfront in Oriental Parade. I said, okay, right up there. I said, see that house? I said, okay, no, next to the yellow one. There, that white house. There's a very special thing about that house. That is the only place in New Zealand where Lord of the Rings was not filmed. Anyway,
3: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I get that, yeah.
0: <laughs> You're right. And, uh, but it, man, what a legacy. And they're making some more. So there we go. You're very happy we can watch some more. In terms of wrapping this up, because of time, I'm conscious of both your times and your contributions today. Um, the tagline for this is Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. I came up with that myself. A bit too long, you probably condense it down. you could probably help me with that, but the courage side of things, I always find it fascinating what what is <laughs> what is courage in your industry slash life
1: Oh courage it, I think it's like just not giving in mm. and not being put off um, being a woman in tech it 's courage every day you are saying something about technology, which has been claimed as a male domain.
3: Right.
1: So you were kind of constantly pushing back against that. Um, So that's kind of courage in in what I do every day. And I suppose that's... But in everyday life, it's just... You've just got to make those decisions. um, And you just have to then just just do it and keep doing it. And even if it's all falling apart around your ears, because there's a, there's a reason you made that decision and that is your intuition and you should trust it. And the courage is to just get through the chaos that you've created and get out the other side into a place that will be better for you because you have to trust yourself. You second guess yourself. You'll constantly keep yourself in chaos. So sometimes you just make a decision and go. I'm trying to build a house. That's one of those things. You just keep going.
0: That sounds very grown up. (laughs) 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 Just to help you through that. Mm.
1: Courage. Mm. How
0: about you, Derek? What does it mean to me? What does it look like in your world? What Mm. does courage look like?
2: I can't help but think of other people I know that are... um of different definitions of it, right? Like, for some people, the the internal struggle is huge. Mm. They are at ease in the world of interpersonal relations and having great struggle internally, getting over, uh, say, addiction or something like that. Mm. They can be social and popular, but having an internal struggle. And then other people are the opposite, that they... Um, Internally, they feel quite congruent and fine. And the the times where they need to kind of summon up all of their courage is to deal with other people. Um, So I guess everybody's got their own personal definition based on their situation. I think of it as the, the definition of success, that to me success is achieving what you set out to do. No matter what that is. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter. um, uh, It's not monetary. There's no objective measure. It's just your internal Mm. only. Like, if you achieve what you set out to do, then by my definition, you are successful. And so I think with courage, it's like, if you are feeling the fear and doing it anyway, as Mm. they say, um, for whether that's internal or external or... um, Life size or nano, um, I still think that that's courage. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, so right. I was thinking earlier about what you were saying about music mm. and kind of putting that to one side because you can hear too much in it. You have that mm. language, and same for you. Video games as well. Uh, I got asked a question recently: is like, oh, do you like deconstruct everybody you, you watch you know, when they're public speaking and stuff? Mm. And I'm like, actually, it's the opposite for me even though I know all the tricks and the bells and I can very quickly pick out if someone is using some NLP or doing a bit theatre stuff and, and things like that. But more, more often than not, I just have a huge amount of respect for anybody who stands up because I know the amount of courage it takes. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like the, the, the worst bit of when you see a video online, like a TED Talk, mm-hmm. which I know you're very aware of, and, and other spaces like Creative Mornings and stuff like that, what you don't see behind, which is the lack, is what it took for that person to get to that point. Yeah. I always think, oh, because sometimes I go to events and someone says, oh, that speaker didn't, re- they're a bit nervous, didn't really, they fumble it. And I was going, yeah, but I bet for them, that was their version of success, because they mm-hmm. did it. Because a couple of months ago, they were like, no way am I doing this. Hmm. So you've got to give people a little bit of rope or space to understand that what I perceive as good is very different to what their level of success is. And for me, courage is having voice. Yeah, anybody who's thinking. Having voice, up?
3: huh.
2: Yeah. See, sorry to like, you were hoping to wrap it up, but. Go on. <laughs> I've done over a thousand shows. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the stage is my comfort zone. That to me, that's the easiest thing to do. Of course, Is yeah. to get up on stage and perform. It's harder to, like I said, like to be in a crowded room of people Trying to get your attention. It's harder to me to be off stage than on stage. On stage is easy. Off stage is hard. Um, So I I think we can't even assume that uh, anybody who's up on stage is being courageous. Sometimes it's just that's the easy thing. Yes, totally. And I'm
0: weird because I'm like you in the sense of my happy places on the stage. I think I'm much more literate on the stage. I think I just flow. Ideas come in. I don't script. I know what I'm gonna say. I Mm. don't know how it's gonna come out. And for some reason, I'm much more intelligent on the stage, or in, intelligible, whatever they say. I, I just in that flow state. But I think that's because of the conditions that we flourish under, mm-hmm. which is not usual for most people. Right. That's do
1: the thing. You, do you both think yourselves as performers then? Because there's a switch that happens maybe when you get onto a stage that you become a performer, not a regular human being.
2: For me, absolutely,
1: yeah. a thousand percent. Yeah.
0: For me, absolutely not.
1: Okay. Ah.
0: Only because it's the tension I'm after mm-hmm. that will trigger then, I still wanna feel that tension up there i'm not like yeah let me on this is easy i don't feel anything it's like walking a park Hmm. no i get nervous like anybody i just know it and turn it into fuel
3: Hmm.
0: and i get excited and funnily enough if i get really excited before i speak on 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 a stage i usually end up yawning because my breathing's really shallow and once I mention yawn, I want to yawn, but then I'm yawning, so I look so chilled out, but I'm really excited, but I'm yawning, wow. and someone's like, "You're on, st-. Like, yeah, this is great, I'm really excited. <laughs> wow. But then I'm up there and I'm away, right, and it's great to get that buzz, and for some reason it's the energy I feel after. So maybe there is a performance aesthetic to it, but I think through the lens of that, I, I need that tension to perform, but not in a performance jazz hands theatre way. Mm. But you might know me then as well, so I don't want to presume. It's funny. It's just mm. fuel, isn't it? You get different types of feel. I yeah. think
1: we perform in various different ways. Mm, right. Wearing different masks and yeah. the stage is this place where you're allowed to perform, um, where yeah. it's sanctioned. Whereas um, I'd, in a room full of people, I'd have to put my performance mask on of, mm. of being... Uh, OK,
0: so that's where you... And
1: that would, that, that's very draining. Yeah. But if I know that I'm going into a to stand up in front of people and talk about a topic, I can become a performer of the person that talks about that topic. And I can stand and I can, you know, be funny and witty, all of those things, intelligent and then step off and the people want to talk to me. And I'm like, run. Yes. <laughs>
3: and yeah. it's like, please don't talk right, to me okay. unless you're going
1: to talk to me about any of the things I said. Don't talk to me. yeah. Which is terrible, because that's when people actually want to engage with you, and I'm they terrible do. at that, so yeah.
0: Please um, stick around next time. They say <laughs> nice things to you, I promise.
1: <laughs> terrible, I'll go no, clean just, up the glasses like, in the kitchen, Well, to me, it's like after you've done that,
2: it's like you've, you've just given your all. When you're on stage or whatever, yeah. you're doing Thing. I've given my all. And so as soon as it's done, I just want to go back to the yes. green room and just go. Yes. I'm done. Yeah.
0: I get it, but you also, you've done it, right? Where you, and there's a cue for you, and it's great, and it's so validating, and you get so much energy from that mm. as well. But you've got to force yourself into the second bit.
1: Yeah, as an introvert, that all that does is like, here's me giving away all my spoons.
0: Yeah, mm. and I'm done. And like you say, green room, yeah. it's dark yeah. room, being held, patted,
3: <laughs> <laughs> wine, it's
0: so nice. <laughs> we all need that. We all need that. Well. Thank you. I think we'll close it out there. Thank Thanks you for your care. time, your stories, your honesty, vulnerability. Really appreciate this Thanks time for the together.
1: Invite. And it's been fun chatting. Yeah. Learning. I know so much more now. It's great.
0: That was Creative Welly, episode 40. My name is DK again. Thank you for your time and attention. Thanks again, John O'Tucker, Empire Films videographer, for this, and also David Hamilton over at Flashdog Studio for hosting us. Keep having courageous conversations with bold humans, and we'll see you next time.